starting a brand new series. Our series is called simply Jesus With. Jesus With. And what we're doing throughout this series is that we're reflecting on how Jesus responds to different people in different scenarios. Jesus isn't a cookie-cutter God who deals with everyone the exact same way. He responds to people differently. And so we'll be looking at Jesus with the powerful. What does Jesus have to say to the powerful? Those who have wealth, those who have uh, affluence and authority, how does Jesus deal with them? We'll be also looking at Jesus with the powerless. That'll be next week. And how Jesus responds to those who are oppressed and feel abused by society and laws and, and discrimination. And how does Jesus respond to the powerless? We'll also be speaking about how Jesus responds to the anxious. And so that'll be also throughout the series because we can get so caught up with the things of this world that our anxieties can in fact um, rise up quite a bit. We'll be speaking on all these different things. So I want you to listen to me. This is such an important series for you to be, um, for you to uh, experience because we all need to be reminded um, how Jesus responds to us. Because every one of us will find ourselves in positions of power, in positions of powerlessness, in positions of anxiety, in positions of troubled. We'll be doing Jesus with the troubled. We'll all experience that and, and to know how Jesus responds to us will be very helpful during those moments. Now today, we are going to speak to Jesus um, how Jesus communicates to the powerful, to the wealthy, to those who have authority and power over others. Now, here's the thing. Whenever I say Jesus speaking to the powerful, everybody goes, man, I wish my boss was here. <laughs> or, because or, we never think of the wealthy as us. We always think of the wealthy and the powerful as someone who is just at least one step above where we presently are. That's how we usually respond to wealth. The fact is, is that most of us would fall under, and especially according to what Jesus would define as wealthy, most of us would fall under that category. A great many of us would. Most of us have more than one shirt to choose from. Most of us have indoor plumbing. Like, if you're if your plumbing is not working well in your apartment, you do realize that that's rich people problems, right? right? Because a lot of the world does not have indoor plumbing. If if the bus broke down or the train was late or the car broke down on the way over here, you do realize that most people don't have access to transportation like that, right? That's that if the car broke down, if the bus was late, if whatever, you realize that that's rich people problems. You do know that, right? If you had a choice of shoe to wear to church, you were like, you looked into your closet and you saw several garments and you go, you know, I just don't feel like I have anything to wear. If that was your story, then you have rich people problems. What I'm trying to say, if you have clean running water, you see how where this is going, right? 
I don't want you to hear a sermon on the powerful and think to yourself that you're somehow disqualified from the lessons that we need to learn. Now, there are those of us, however, here with a great deal of power, influence, authority, and wealth. And to you, I want to say that Jesus loves and deals with the wealthy and the powerful and the the influencer. And then there are those of you who have very little power and very little authority. You need to listen up because in, in different relationships and in different circumstances, you will find yourself as the one in power and you're going to want to know how to respond when you're in that position. Amen. Now, you go, how would I ever find myself in power? Well, listen, if you have children, you have a position of power over those children. Isn't that true? Amen. If you're a spouse, you have a position of power with your spouse. If uh, in, in multiple places of life, we have positions of power and positions of influence. So we want to find out how the Lord would speak to us. Um, and so we look to a Luke 19 in the Gospels. We look to Luke 19. This message is so important for us. Because if, especially if you've experienced powerlessness, if you've experienced, and you ever... Did you know that the New York Times recently, the New York Times said that the first hundred winners of the lottery, they're all broke. Did you know that? They're all broke. Yeah, they all lost their money. They all thought that their money would last forever. They all thought that their um, finances would go on forever. And, and they're not. And they hadn't, right? Because the fact is, is that we need to learn how to whether it's our finances, whether it's our influence, whether it's our authority, we need to be able to figure out how to use all of that for the glory and the power of Christ. Because the powerful need the presence of God. The powerful, the influential, the wealthy, we all need the presence of Christ. So in Luke 19, we see Jesus on his sort of journey of travel with several different people. Um, we, uh, well, actually, we see it before that. Um, just before this, there was a blind man that Jesus uh, connected with and gave him sight. And before that, there was a wealthy man that Jesus met. And it's, it's no coincidence that a wealthy man that Jesus connected with, who went to Jesus with his goodness, with his wealth, went away sad, And there's a second wealthy man who receives Christ and goes away glad. See, it's possible to have the same Lord, the same Christ, confront you on your stuff. And it's possible to run away from that Lord. And so I don't want us to be that. So we look at Luke uh, chapter 19. We're going to read 10 verses. Now, In our church, we have a tradition where we stand at the reading of God's Word. And the reason that we stand is because we want to be reminded that the Word of God has authority in our lives. So we stand at a a posture of respect and reverence. My My prayer is that your standing is not just physical, but that you would have a posture of reverence and respect for God's Word. If you're here and you go, that's not how I connect with God. Um, I'm just glad that you're here. I'm just letting you know why we stand. Um, and, so it, and also, if you're here, you're welcome to be here. We have people here 
who um, you could have slept on the park bench next door, or you could have slept in the penthouse across the street, and you're welcome. This is a place where all sorts of people from all different walks and backgrounds can come and find not only Christ, but beautiful, loving fellowship with really broken people all around us. Isn't that good news? You thought you were the only one, right? No, no, no. It's, you're, you're surrounded by broken people. And if you think that you're not broken, that laughter was for you. Because you are. We are. We all are. Okay, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Let's read this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be with the guest of sinners. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's Word. Please have a seat. Do you know that in the Gospel, there's actually hope for rich people? In the Gospel, there's hope for rich people like me and you. And for other rich people. Jesus doesn't discriminate. It's hard for me to hear that because in my own heart, I tend to discriminate against the wealthy. I wonder if I'm alone in this. When you're rich, I think, well, you had a silver spoon. You didn't have the upbringing that I brought. You had privilege that I did not have. You had uh, opportunities that I did not have. And, and so I tend to be negative with the wealthy. But the fact is, is that I have a lot of privilege and a lot of opportunities that a lot of people didn't have. And so, and so we need to be able to, as Christ followers, recognize that Jesus has never laid eyes on someone who he didn't want to see drawn to the Father. And whether you have the stress and the difficulty of affluence, riches, and power, because there's stress and, and, and there's pain and there's difficulty with having a lot, or if you've had the stress and difficulty of having very little, I want you to know that Jesus comes and speaks to us. If our lives are going to be transformed by the presence of Christ, if the powerful are going to be um, transformed by the presence of Christ, 
then there are some things that we see in Zacchaeus' life that we need to expose ourselves to, that we need to uh, remind ourselves of. And so we see in the text that if Jesus is going to transform your life, we need to be willing, um, first of all, to look dumb. To look dumb. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, um, So he ran ahead, that is Zacchaeus, and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. You need to be willing to look dumb. The fact is, is that there's no way an adult man climbing up a tree looks anything like silly to any culture that you go to, but especially this one. It was undignified. But the fact is, is that he was, uh, he was moved because of this. Look at verse 3. He said, he wanted to see who Jesus was. See, he didn't just want to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And the fact is, is that many of us can come to a service like this and just want to be around Jesus, but not experience who Jesus actually is. You know this is you. If uh, you had to be bribed, uh, uh, cajoled, threatened, or, or, you know, something like that in order to come to this service, right? It's like, I, I, I get it, right? So, like, you know, you're here, and especially you young people, right? You're here, and mom and dad dragged you here and whatever, and, and, and you're here, and you're like, you know what? I, I'm just here because I'm being dragged. I'd rather be taking a nap. I'd rather be at the beach. I'd rather be doing just about, I'd rather be drinking broken glass, some of you would say, Right? <laughs> And so you go, this is painful. The guy is really good looking, but I really don't want to hear what he has to say. I know that's what you're thinking. I can read your mind. I could see that's on your mind. And you're going, oh, man, I, I don't want to be here. Well, uh, the fact is, is that there, there needs to be a sense where all of us, listen to me, all of us, the powerful and the powerless, the, the ones with authority and the ones without, that we need to be willing if we're going to pursue Jesus, if we're going to experience the power of Christ. And the reason that that is important is because even if you're wealthy and powerful, everything, everything is fleeting. Everything is fleeting. Nothing is permanent on this earth. Nothing is. And so even your bodies, even your bodies will break down and dissipate. So, so the fact is, is that we need something outside of that. And, and, and the truth is, is that we need that because even when we recognize really successful people, people who have hit the pinnacle of their, um, of their craft or uh, their artistry or with great finances, we'll, we'll find and say, is this all there is? You've seen this over and over and over again. I remember hearing an interview from the uh, quarterback of the New England Patriots. He's like the most winning quarterback in all, of, um, in all of football, right? Like it's like, I don't know if he's the most winning, but he's like, he's like amazing. And he's super good looking. He's like the kind of guy that you absolutely hate, right? It's like you're around him, he's like, oh my gosh, this guy's good looking, and he's millionaire, and he's like, you know, got everything that I've ever wanted, that kind of thing, right? And he, he, was, he was in an interview and he said, is that all there is? Like they asked him, well, how do you feel about the kind of success that you use? It's like, you know, there, there's got to be more. And he's right. There's got to be more. The reason that many of us think 
that getting another level of wealth and another level of power will solve all of our problems, it's because we haven't gotten that wealth or that power. You know what we would think if we got that next level of wealth and power? We would say, if I only got to the next level of wealth and the next level of power. I know this is true because I'm experiencing that. I've experienced that. I remember, um, I, I come from an addicted background. I, I started to use drugs when I was really young, made horrible decisions, ruined my life, hurt the people that I loved around them. Maybe that's your story too. And when I was just getting clean, that's the kind of uh, nomenclature, that's the kind of verbiage that we use in the 12-step group that I'm a part of. We, go, we say, we get clean. Some of you, when you get sober, others of you, you know, other uh, words you use. Well, when I, I got clean, I remember thinking to myself, all I wanted, and I was 17 when I got clean, I said, all I wanted was a job and a girlfriend. <laughs> that was it. Because when you're 17, all your problems will be solved if you could just get a girlfriend. That's a fact. And so, and so I, I thought if I could just get a job and get a girlfriend, my life would be perfect. And did you know I got a job? And would you believe I got a girlfriend? And they made my life worse. Would you believe that? Because nothing on the outside can fix an inside problem. That the stuff out there will never fix the damage in here. And so, when we, we come to a place like this, I don't want you to come as people who just want to be around Jesus, find out about Jesus. But I want you to expose your heart to finding out who Jesus really is. And and be willing to look silly in the process. I know that some of you coming here, it's not super popular, right? This is New York City. You tell, here's how I know. How many of you, how many of you actually like invited, like within the last week, how many of you, how, how many of you spent time telling people about all that the Bible is teaching you to your non-Christian friends? How many of you did that? Okay, so it's like, right, one, two, there's three, there's four. Okay, right. There's a couple of liars in the room. It's cool. No, I'm kidding. No, they're telling the truth. They're telling the truth. It's like, you know, not all of you were telling the truth. But here's the point. Here's the point. There's, there's like, there's a, there's a room full of us, right? And how many of it, let, all the people that raise their hand, if we take them at their word, we still got, we still got fingers left over on one hand. You know why you don't and we don't do that? The reason that we don't do that is because we find that we haven't, experienced, we haven't been blown away by, we haven't been moved deeply by Christ. Because whenever you move deeply by something, you want to share it. Good night. When people get a good meal, they share it with everyone. Right? Have you seen this? Where people are like taking pictures of their meals on social media. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Keep doing it. All my point is, is that when you're excited about something, no matter how small that something is, you advertise it to the world. Yes. Did you know that if you're excited by Jesus, you tend to, you don't care if you look stupid doing it. You don't care if people don't understand. You don't care because Jesus is glorious. Amen. So, so the first thing that Zacchaeus was willing to do is that he was willing to look dumb. The second thing 
is that we have to not only be willing to look dumb, but we have to be willing to experience the call. We see that in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, you know, the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. That is extraordinary. Think about this. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. Now, it's, I, I didn't lay the groundwork for uh, Zacchaeus' wealth and all this other stuff. Zacchaeus, in the very first part of this uh, text, is called a chief or an arch. It's actually literally arch tax collector in the Greek, but it's the chief tax collector. He's like a tax collector who has uh, other people running uh, uh, the region or collecting the taxes. So he's like sort of a supervisor, a boss. Now, these guys were deeply hated by the Jewish people. The Jewish people saw them as traitors. The reason that they saw them as traitors is because they were there to collect the taxes for the occupying, um, oppressing government. And so because they saw that these guys were like turncoats, they were kind of working for the Roman governors, turning their back on their people. And on top of that, the Roman government would tell them, okay, you need to collect X amount of dollars. Let's say $100 from this town. Anything that you collect above and beyond that is yours. And so there wasn't like a, a, you know, a dot gov that you could go on and find out what the taxes are supposed to be. There wasn't like a, a letter that was sent. There wasn't like a law that was known. Nobody knew how many taxes. They had to rely on the tax collectors. And the tax collectors knew that they had to collect this $100 And whatever they did was above and beyond. So they could tell anybody anything. 101? 1,001? They could tell anybody anything. And they would usually line their pockets with great wealth as a result. And so Jesus, so this is the kind of person that we're dealing with. A person who has wealth, a person who's used his power, a person who's used his wealth to hurt Others. In fact, he gained wealth by hurting others. And Jesus says to this person who doesn't deserve his attention, he says, Zacchaeus, take me home. Take me home. You see, Jesus, if you spend time finding out who Jesus is, Jesus will one day say, take me home. Take me home. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in, I was like, I grew up in a super impoverished um, place. We didn't have, um, we didn't have anything. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have a telephone for, well, for a large portion of my teenage years. We didn't have a telephone. We didn't have a TV. A lot of times we didn't have electricity. It would be like, I mean, a crack house would have been an upgrade. It was really bad. It was really bad. We had a hole in our window uh, where you could actually see your breath in the wintertime. It was terrible. If you don't believe me, you can ask some of my friends that grew up with me. Um, And whenever anybody would come over to the house, we were also, my mother would um, have bouts with um, mental illness. She still does to this day. And in those moments of mental illness, she would go away, sometimes disappear for three, six months, it was, it, and so we had to fend for ourselves. So whenever a friend was coming to the house, the way they would have to um, 
uh, alert us, because we grew up in a Puerto Rican, we're Puerto Rican, we grew up in a neighborhood, it would be something like this, Edwin, you know, something like that, screaming out the window. <laughs> and it's because we didn't have a bell, but, you know, in their defense, we wouldn't have used the bell, even if the bell worked. Um, it was just the way, it was our culture, we would just scream, it was cool. And so, but that's marvelous, right? Because you would find out, like your friend was downstairs, and that would give you what? 30 to 45 seconds while they're downstairs. Now, by the time they screamed their third eh, wing, you had to obligatory go to the window and go, oh, well. So it, it would take like a, a minute or so for them to scream. And then you go, oh, I'll throw the key down. And then every, and then let me tell you why it takes so long. And then you knew you had like about 45 seconds for them to figure out what key and then put it in the thing and then walk up the stairs. Got it? Right? So that's like three minutes, right? I can clean an entire house in three minutes. <laughs> I know this because I've done it over and over again, over and over and over again. Okay, why did I tell you that silly story? No particular reason. No, really. The reason I told you that story is because it's very possible to have someone who says, I want to come home to you. I want to be in your home. And, and I, what I would do is I would usually, there would usually be a closet. And I mean, plates, spoons, clothes, shoes. It would all get grabbed up, I would throw it in the closet, close the door, and then people would walk in and would go, hey, how you doing, right? And it would be all good, right? I still do that in my office from time to time, right? They go, Pastor Edwin, your next appointment is here, and I'm like, oh, look at all these dishes, and I take them and I put them in, the, in, in my thing. It's pretty bad. So if you ever go in my office is clean and you see me sweating, you understand what's just happened, right? It's been a particular mess. Here's the point. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Jesus will want to ask for access to every place where you live. And it will be your tendency and my tendency to look good on the outside and refuse to give Jesus access to those places we find embarrassing or those places that we want to hold on to. Because quite frankly, we like that sort of thing. Jesus goes up to Zacchaeus and he says, take me home. In other words, take me to the place of fellowship. Take me to the place of intimacy. Take me where you and I can be real with one another. Take me home. Now, if you're going to find out who Jesus is, if you're going to pursue Christ, eventually he'll say that, and your response will be one or the other. Not now. Your response may be, uh, maybe not all the way home. Or if you do take Jesus home, there'll be still be rooms in your house that Jesus is not allowed or welcomed in. Because all the mess is there. You know what I'm saying, right? Yes. Amen. Jesus says, I want to experience you on a more intimate level. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be transformed by Christ, especially if we're powerful, especially if we find ourselves with influence, then we're going to have to allow Jesus to touch every area of our lives, even our wealth, even our position, even our authority, every area of life. Jesus says, take me home. So you got to experience the call. Thirdly, we need to deal with the insults. Verse 7, look down at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest, to be the guest of a sinner. Now, what's powerful about this is that they were actually saying that while they were still there. See, everybody muttered 
when, when this guy Zacchaeus, because of the reasons that I just told you. In fact, a tax collector was so bad that usually it had its own category of sin. Like whenever you see the Bible, a tax collector, it's usually, and the sinners and tax collectors, as if tax collectors is like the lowest rung on the totem pole. They're the most disliked group of people in this culture. I don't know what that would be for our culture, but that's what it was for this culture. And this tax collector who people saw as beneath the one who would come with the good news. And Jesus sees him and they say, could you believe he's going home with this sinner? So if we're going to experience the life-transforming work of Christ if with, within the context of our finances, our power, our influence, the first thing is we're going to need to be willing to look dumb. The second is that we're going to need to experience God's call for intimacy. Third is we're going to need to deal with insults. You're going to have to deal with the insults. In other words, when I first started to come to Christ, not everybody was super excited about me coming to Christ. My wife thought it was just a phase and that it would go, you know, just pass, just a phase. I had friends who had encouraged me to seek spirituality, but the spirituality that they were asking me to seek, never did they ever dream that that spirituality include Jesus. Like, it's, it was okay so long as I didn't bow the knee to Jesus, so long as, it was, so long as I stood in the spiritual category where God didn't have authority and he didn't have a name. You see, you have to deal with the insults. When we come to Christ, people are going to say things about us. Amen. And you have to, we have to start thinking of Christ as one in whose, in whose reputation we cherish more than the reputation that others give us. The fact is, is that if you're wealthy, if you have a position of power, if you have a position of authority, that means people are going to look at you like you're crazy. Amen. I was talking to uh, someone who has uh, an incredible opportunity for... Um, uh, power and influence. He's on the, like, the beginning of his career. And he was talking about how soulless it was at the top. How vapid and, and just, and how, how absolutely vain the whole thing, the whole thing was. He said how he didn't want to be like those people. Because many times, if we're in a position of power, if we're in a position of authority, we have, to, we have to disregard Jesus, we think to ourselves. We go, if I'm going to make it all the way to the top of the ladder, we have to disregard Christ. And, I mean, you, you think that's only true about people at the highest echelons of society? I've known people in this congregation who have found Christ, been transformed by Christ, been moved deeply by Christ, and for a few dollars an hour, they'll spend overtime at their work rather than spending time with Christ. They'll, they'll do it to the degree where Christ is no longer a part of their lives. 
There'll be the same people who are praying, God, please give me a job. Please give me some uh, finances. Please give me some resources. God does that, and then they make that their God. See, you, you don't have to be at the highest levels of power to try to ignore Jesus on the way up your ladder. But here's what some people discover. Some people discover that they spend a lifetime climbing the ladder of success only to find out that on the top of the roof, their ladder was leaning on the wrong house. There's a sense where we're going to have to endure insults. This is super important to hear because when we come to Christ, Christ will do a great work to the degree that he starts to transform us. Yes. It's just, now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. We often think that Christ transforms us in the way that we don't struggle. Here's what I mean. I mean, if you never had a problem smoking cigarettes, then you immediately think that the way, all right, you came to Christ, well, then you have to drop smoking cigarettes. Because it's not something that you struggle with. But if you struggle with bitterness, it never occurs to you to think that maybe Jesus wants to deal with your bitterness. When, you, when, that when, when Christ is speaking about your finances, that maybe he wants to address your finances. For some of you, for some of you, Christ is addressing your finances, especially, listen, in our church, we say, listen, we say, we encourage you to tithe. What that means is that um, in God's word, over and over again, it speaks about being generous, giving the first fruits, the 10%, the first 10% of your resources. But the fact is, for some people, if you gave in this room 10%, it would, it would, it would be too much. It would be like, oh my goodness. Now, I want you to know, that I, listen to me, I grew up in poverty, um, I had nothing. There was a moment where I had a 1984 Monte Carlo, a 1984 Monte Carlo, only it was 1999. And so this car was, I love this car, this was my first car. And it came to the point where I either had to pay the insurance on the car or I was going to give my tithe and my offering. And it was a no-brainer. I got rid of the car. And so I'm not coming at you as one of these million-dollar um, pastors who are saying, give more and you'll be blessed and all this other stuff. I'm saying, and listen to me, and that might not be your story. I'm just saying Jesus had so transformed my life. I saw Jesus as better than a meal that I would post on Instagram. He was someone that I wanted to share. And I, I, it transformed the way I did finances to the degree where it changed how I lived my life. It changed my lifestyle. There was no longer driving in a car anymore for me and my family. Jesus will change how you do your resources and how you do your finances. And even as I'm saying this right now, you feel like you, there's got to be a defense up. You practice, like, I mean, there are so many here who have received the benefits of other people's generosity within this congregation. But you've never participated, you never participated in being generous within our congregation. Beloved, Jesus wants to affect your finances. Amen. Jesus wants to address your resources, your wealth, your power. 
And you say, and it's not, listen to me. Here's, listen. If you're giving, you go, but I give, pause for a second. Just pause for a second. I know we're talking about a sensitive subject, but we're going to take a minute, and we have time for communion, so you can forgive me if you're harboring bitterness in your heart <clears throat> towards me. But here's, here's just a pause. The way that we give, the way that we're generous, should change our lives. In other words, if, if the way you took vacations before you came to Christ is the exact same way you take vacations now, if the way you, the, if the lifestyle that you lived before you came to Christ has not been affected at all after you come to Christ, if the level of generosity that you had before you came to Christ is the same at this stage, then, beloved, pray about that. Would you ask, would you ask Christ to address your heart in this? But there's not only those finances. Listen, beloved, if the way you parent hasn't changed, if the way you respond to your spouse hasn't changed, if the way, in other words, Jesus changes everything. Zacchaeus' response, Zacchaeus' response is a radical response to a great God. Our response should be no less than that. Amen. Now, the question is, what does that look like for us? Well, the first thing is that if you're here and you need to get to know Jesus or you want to get to know Jesus, then the first step for you is simply reading your Bible. Would you, just, would you just start reading your Bible? That as you start reading your Bible, you get to know Jesus, and you go, but I don't know how to read. Cool. We have people here who would love to help you with that. We'll read to you. I have a, a person uh, that um, he shared with me. He said, you know what? I don't do reading well. He's a little bit older, and he's, he's like, you know what? I, I just don't retain information like I ought. And so what we do is we spend some time together. We, it's scheduled. It doesn't always happen every week, but it's scheduled every week. And, and so I, I, you know what we do? I read to him. That's it. Amen. Because if you can't read, then in the gospel of Christ, we want to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And, and you go, oh, but for me, I just can't stay clean. Cool beans. Every, a lot of people in this room could not stay clean. Amen. And so you can't do it by yourself. Cool beans. We'll do it with you. We'll walk with you. We'll suffer with you. We'll kick with you. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll endure those sleepless nights with you. We'll, we'll, we'll go through those times with you. Right, because so if, if you're going to know Christ, let me just encourage you. Start reading your Bible. If you don't read, start getting around people. Just go, hey, could, you, could we connect together? And just on the phone, in a park, just read the scriptures to me. And let's just read a couple of paragraphs and then talk about that. I'm telling you, your mind will be blown. Um, if you want to get to know Jesus as well, would you go, would you, would you commit to just, let's continue hanging out together like this. Where you go, okay, there are people, and then we get an opportunity to go into the 
what we call the fellowship room, because the reason we call it the fellowship room is because it's an opportunity for us to be able to talk with each other and share with each other about what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. That's an opportunity for you to talk and share what your struggle was. When you're in that room, don't just talk about the weather or how you're doing or just be silent. You can go, hey, what was it about today's sermon? What was it about today's sermon that offended you? What was it about today's sermon that you were confused by? And what was it about today's sermon that's going to change the way you do life? What was it about the scriptures that's going to change the way you do life? Beloved, we have an opportunity to connect with one another. Everyone who needs Jesus needs everyone who needs Jesus. We do it together, and that's why we stay as a family together. And, and especially now, the summer is coming around. Do we have any sun worshipers in the house? Right? Yeah, there's a few of us, right? And so, and so we go to the beach and we just go, okay. So let me, just, let me just recommend, let me just recommend that you go to the beach throughout the summer. Let me recommend that you go either on Saturday or at Sunday around 11.15 after our service is over. Does this make sense? Now, why is it? It's silly, right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you see all the people who are not clapping, and then you go, oh, wow, this is a real issue. Okay. No, but the reason that I'm saying that, listen to me. The reason that I'm saying that, if in fact Jesus is who he said he was, and he transformed his life, it's going to transform the way you do Sundays and the way you do summer days. It's going to affect how you interact with the body of believers. Now, listen to Jesus' response in the end. He goes, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Do you know why salvation had come to that house? Because Jesus was at that house. Today salvation had come to that house. This is so key and so important. Because Jesus is reminding him and reminding the congregation that the fruit of his repentance, he's showing the fruit of his repentance, is demonstrating what had already happened prior but if salvation had come to his house, this guy had been a lousy guy. He had stolen, he had cheated from people. We're not just take, we're talking about taking money from people, but we're talking about taking people's livelihoods from them, like, you know, the, the suffering and the hunger that they went through. But it's because this guy was taking more than he should. How could Jesus tell this guy to come down from a tree and say he wants intimacy with him? How could Jesus do that? How could Jesus forgive? Isn't it flippant to forgive such a wicked person who had taken so much money? Like, I mean, re remember when, like, um, what was that guy who had that incredible Ponzi scheme? Like, he's going to be in jail for the rest of his life. Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff, right? Madoff, yeah, right. So Bernie Madoff, he goes, and, and he got no pity from anyone. He got no pity, right? Like, they, they wanted him to stay in jail forever. And the reason is, it's because we, when we see uh, images of people or we see videos of people saying, hey, um, I, I lost my house. I lo we notice that the person who steals resources and finances is a truly wicked person. They've used their power and authority in an abusive way. So it's not fair that Jesus just doles out forgiveness to this guy so easily and so glibly. Like, imagine that Bernie Madoff, this guy's like Bernie Madoff, and, and then he goes before the judge, 
and you lost your house, you don't have any money, you don't know how you're going to retire, you're broke. This guy has made off with all your money. And, and you're there. And the judge goes, Bendito. <laughs> bendito, for the, for the Anglos in the room, Bendito is the awe of the Puerto Rican culture, right? Or the Spanish culture. You know, it's like, Bendito. Are you sorry? Do you feel bad about taking all this money? I forgive it all, don't worry. You see how crazy, you see how offensive that is? The gospel is an offense because then, then you have to ask yourself, how is God just and God is just? How is God just and allowing a guy like Zacchaeus to be scot-free, to say today is the day salvation has come to this house? How can God be just? But and then if God, if God doesn't forgive him, he's just, but he's not merciful. And you say, well, isn't a God a God of mercy? So how can God be both merciful and just? Because mercy and just don't go together. So how can God be both merciful and just? Listen to me. This is really, really important. The reason that God can be both merciful and just is because while he invites Zacchaeus to come down from the tree, there will be a moment where he goes up on a tree. There will be a moment where he pays for the sins of Zacchaeus. All the penalty that Zacchaeus deserves, he will be crucified on a cross. He asked Jesus, he asked, Jesus asked Zacchaeus to come down and one day, about 10 days, literally, from this moment, he will go up on this rugged cross and hang on the cruel tree for the sins that Zacchaeus, you and I, deserve punishment for. See, God can be both merciful because he paid the price. Justice was served. The penalty was paid. Amen. And God could be just at the same time. He could give out mercy and he could give out justice because he took justice on himself. Beloved, get to know that God. Get to know that Christ. What does this look like for you? Well, simply, for some of you, it looks like receiving Christ. What does that look like? Just go, Jesus, change my heart, change my heart, change my life. I, I want to see you as glorious and wonderful and good. So you can, right now, in this moment, you can turn to Christ and go, God, here's the truth about me. I don't, and some of you have been coming to this congregation for years. And you speak with your lips things that are not true in your heart. Jesus is not Lord. He's not the King. He doesn't rule and reign over every area of your life. You can, right now, you could receive Christ. And simply receiving Christ, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like to receive Christ. It looks firstly admitting that you're a Zacchaeus. Admitting that you're, and here's an old word, a sinner. That there's no excuses, that you have no, that, that there's no, um, no, nothing that you're going to say that you're going to get, weasel yourself out of it. No, 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 I am guilty. I am guilty. So the first step is to not make excuses, just admit the truth, to finally agree 
with God. Admit and agree with God that we are sinners. Oh, no, but I did that because I was addicted and I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just agree with God. Oh, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just agree with God. Admit that you're a sinner. <clears throat> Secondly, is believe, like Zacchaeus, believe that Christ has the power to take away your sin. Believe that Christ has the power to remove your shame. Believe that Christ would ask you to come down the tree so that he could go up the tree to die for the sins that you deserve penalty for. Believe that. Believe that his salvation is complete and thorough and without repentance. Believe that there is no sin so great that Christ is not greater still. Believe that Christ's grace is far more superior than your sin and that your wickedness is no match for his love. Believe that. Believe that. And then th thirdly, so these two equal a third. And it's what happened with Zacchaeus, right? So the first two don't create the third, but they, well, the first two do create the third, but the, first two, uh, the third is not necessary for salvation. The first is to admit, I'm sure I said that wrong, but the first is to admit that I'm a sinner. The second is to believe that Jesus died and is able and sufficient to take care of my sin. The third, the third is to commit my life to him. With, with Zacchaeus, the law says, I give 10%. But Zacchaeus is not functioning off of the law. He's functioning off of the amazing grace that he's received from Christ. And so he says, I'll give 50%. I'll give 50%. The law would say in Numbers that you have to give uh, two times more, four times more, uh, two times more than what you, would, uh, uh, what you took from someone else. Zacchaeus says, I'll give four times more. Why? Because he's not functioning within the context of the law. He's not just checking boxes, goodness boxes off. What he's doing instead is he's coming to God and he's saying, and God is so transforming his life that he's living in the power of the Spirit. That's what happens when you come to Christ. You live in the power of the Spirit. Okay. So admit that Jesus... Uh, admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is not only God in the flesh and able to die for your sins, but was glad to die for your sins and that, he, and that you could receive his forgiveness. Believe that. And that should transform your life. Now, we come to the part of our service where we take a moment to reflect on not only God's word, but our relationship to God. So for those of you who know Christ it's an opportunity for you to reflect on what God wants to address in your heart, the sins in your heart. Would you just start to address that? Would you just start to talk to Jesus?